Well, I think we're going to go ahead and get started. So thank you so much to everyone for joining us today. My name is Rebecca Sanborn-Stone. I'm with the Orton Family Foundation in lovely Vermont today. I hope you're all enjoying the beautiful summer weather that we have up here. It's wonderful to have you all on the line, and I'm just going to give a pretty quick introduction to our call series and to what we're doing today before I hand it off to two amazing speakers. So first of all, thanks to everybody for bearing with the sound quality issues we're having at the beginning. We have someone working on that for us, and hopefully that should be resolved or getting better. If you do hear any other sound quality issues, you can all press star zero on your phone if you think it might be your line and an operator can help you. And otherwise, please just bear with us. We will call the operator back and try to resolve it as soon as possible. But stay on the line and we'll get it fixed. So this is the Community Matters and Citizens Institute on Rural Design call on spreading the word. This is the first in a series of three capacity building calls that we're going to be offering this summer. Many of you know and have joined us before for the ongoing Community Matters conference call series. We do these calls every month on a variety of topics related to building stronger, more vibrant communities. This is the first time we're partnering with the Citizens Institute to offer calls, and it's a pretty exciting concept. We were going through and hearing from people joining us. You probably heard from Live Oak, Florida, Seguin, Texas, Eastern Kentucky, and Lima, New York, which are the four communities that were just selected to host 2013 Citizens Institute on Rural Design Workshops. So congratulations to the four of them. We're very excited to have them on the line and excited to be offering these calls as a way to help them with the rural design workshops that they're hosting this summer, but also to help the many others of you on the phone who have communications challenges and are working on community projects. So we're thrilled to have you on the line today. Hope you will also sign up for our July and August calls which are geared towards other aspects of community projects. July will help you learn how to build vision and values of your community into projects so that you can ensure your project really reflects what your citizens care about and want to do. And our August call will feature Ed McMahon of the Urban Land Institute talking about secrets of successful communities. We are going to be putting out some special resources for that call and encouraging towns to host their own listening parties. So get a group of people together, listen together, and have a fantastic discussion about it at the end. You can learn more about all of this on our website, communitymatters.org, and we'll send you around some follow-up information about it also. So let me just give you a few details about how the call is going to operate today, and then without further ado, I'll pass it on. If you have not joined us before, you may not be familiar with a Google Doc, but you should have received a link in your confirmation email. So if you open that up, you'll find a shared document where we will have people taking notes today, recording the session in case you want to refer back to it. There'll be a place with links and resources so that you can come and get some of the great information our speakers are talking about. But this is also a collaborative document, so we invite all of you to jump in there and be active. If you have an answer to a question or a comment, please type it in. If questions are occurring to you during the course of the call, Add them in there and add your name so that I can call on you and invite you to come off mute and participate in the discussion. And you can access this document after the call is over as well. So if you have comments or want to put some more answers in once you get off the line, please go back and type in more, and it will just become an even better resource over time. A couple of quick protocols. I know I've said it a couple times now, but please do put yourselves on mute by pressing star 6 on your phone if you haven't done so already. You can also use your mute button. 
This is really essential so that we can cut down on all the background noise and hear our speakers today. We are recording this call, and we'll make a podcast available at the end. So with that, I'm going to turn it on over. We have Amy Frickman, Vice President at Resource Media, joining us today. And we also have Fran Stoddard, Communications Consultant at the Orton Family Foundation. I'm going to turn it to Amy first and let her introduce herself and take it away. Great. Thank you. Um, uh, so, yeah, this is Amy Frickman. I'm with Resource Media. We are a, a, a kind of interesting model. We're a nonprofit PR firm, and we specialize in conservation and natural resource and public health issues. Um, and so we get pretty passionate about helping our partners be very focused about their communications so that they can um, have the biggest impact with the least amount of money. We work with a lot of very under-resourced partners that so were very uh, sensitive to, you know, the amount of time and money that everybody has for communications. Um, so today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some basic elements of good communications planning and messaging around design projects, um, with the caveat that uh, communications, you know, coming up with good plan, et cetera, is very specific to the project. So we're going to be talking in generalities today, and so some of this stuff hopefully will be relevant for your projects. Um, in some cases, it may not be. Um, just a couple things to, to tee up the conversation. I think there are a few elements of uh, communicating around design projects that are important to keep in mind. The first is that um, what you're doing is creating something new, and that's change, and change inevitably makes people feel kind of nervous or anxious. Even when people are excited about something new coming down the line, there's probably equal measures of um, some nervousness about what's coming, and I think we just have to be... Uh, we have to acknowledge that and we have to manage for it. Um, and I think you have to be realistic about um, the fact that you're not going to get everybody on your side and not everybody's going to love your project, but um, it's really about figuring out who needs to love your project so you can be successful. Um, and then the second thing that I would point out is that these kinds of debates are really happening at a very localized level. You know, it's happening project by project, park by park, block by block. Neighborhood by neighborhood. Um, I'm sorry to stop here, but I'm hearing some background noise. Somebody else is talking. Okay. Um, so these conversations are happening at a very local and specific level, and so this is a local conversation, and you need to keep that in mind as you're developing your strategy and your message. You know, you need to be having that local conversation as well. So let's jump in. I think the sort of the first and most important thing to know about communications planning is that. You really need to start at the moment you start thinking about your project. It really can't be an add-on. And if, if the first time you think about communications is the day you're breaking ground or the day you're going before the city council to get approval, you're probably too late. Um, you really need to be thinking about um, what it's going to take to be successful in terms of communications from the get-go. So I like to think about communications planning as really answering five pretty simple questions. They're not necessarily easy questions to answer, but they are pretty simple questions. And the first is, what is it that you want to have happen? You know, this is your goal. This is the outcome that you're trying to achieve. And you want to be really specific about what that goal is. And if you can't answer that question, um, then maybe you're not ready uh, to move forward with the project. Uh, the goal is really the anchor for the rest of the communication strategy. So if you, you know, if you need to get approval for your design project from a city council, then that's a pretty clear goal that, that you can organize a strategy around. The second question flows from the first, which is who can give you what you want? And this gets to your decision maker. 
Um, in some cases, maybe you're, you know, having to work with a county planner or you're talking to a city commissioner or county commissioners. Um, your decision makers can be any number of, of different entities, but you really need to understand who it is that, uh, that can give you what you want and then try to understand where they're coming from, what they know about the project, what they're likely to think about the project, who they trust for information, how they get information. All of those pieces of research are going to be important to your strategy. And then the third question is what story does this decision maker, what story do these people need to hear to support your project, to give you what you want? And this really gets to your message. Your message is the story that you need to tell to get your decision maker to help you achieve your goal. And then the fourth piece of the strategy is who do they need to hear that story from? And this gets to the messenger question, and oftentimes in a communication strategy, a lot of the outreach that you're doing is trying to reach this constituency audience that can have some influence with your decision maker. So for example, a lot of times when you're trying to move a design project forward, um, maybe you're trying to get approval from the city council, and you know that the city council is going to want to hear from the neighborhood where the project's going to be situated, and they're going to want to know that there's a lot of local support from that neighborhood for your project. And so your communication strategy really needs to be oriented toward making sure that the folks in the neighborhood know about the project, that they are that they see it as a good thing, and that they're willing to go tell the city commission that they think it's a good thing as well. And that all gets down to the fact that sometimes we're not the best messengers, and sometimes just you telling your decision maker what you want isn't going to make it happen. So then your final question is, how, how does my decision maker need to hear about my story? This is where you sort of get into the tactics. You know, what are the channels that you can use to deliver your story? A lot of times when we're working with people, they, they jump right to tactics. They, they, they want a website or they want to get in the newspaper or we, we should do a bunch of pamphlets or any number of different strategies. Before you work through those five steps, we can't be sure what the appropriate tactic is. Sometimes it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It might be posting something on a bulletin board. There's lots of different ways to get your story across and they're not always um, the most obvious. So that's communications planning. I'm going to spend just a few minutes talking about messaging, and then I will pass it along to Fran. So first with messaging, obviously all of your projects are different, so all of your messaging is going to be a little bit different. Um, but we can think about a good message as generally being constructed with some basic elements. And the first element is shared values. So developing a message is not so much about uh, self-expression and you saying what you believe, it's really about communication and that means you need to understand where your audience is coming from, what they believe, what they care about, what's important to them. And so uh, with your projects, you need to really understand with your audience, what, what do they really care about relative to your projects? And can you talk about your projects in a way that, that speaks to that overlap between what you really care about it and, and what your audience really cares about? The second piece of a good message uh, is to have a, a compelling threat or problem that you're trying to solve. Um, so for example, you might be trying to build a project in the neighborhood where there's some blight and you're taking a, you're taking a lot that's been underutilized or maybe there's an old building there um, that nobody lives in. Uh, maybe you can talk about the threat or the problem as, you know, here we've got this eyesore in the neighborhood. Maybe it's an attraction to crime. Maybe it lowers everybody's property values. That's a way for you to talk about that problem that's going to connect with that neighborhood so that, that you can then say, and I have a solution for this, which gets to the third part of the message, which is 
what's your simple solution? And how is your design project a solution to the problem? And with the solution, again, we want to be thinking about our audience. It's not so much what do I think is great about the building and the design project, but more what's in it for the people that I'm trying to reach. So for example, you might have a project that you're very excited about because you care a lot about climate change and this project has solar panels and it's zero waste and it's got composting and, and you see it as a really exciting way to uh, do a low carbon footprint. But maybe it's being situated in a, in a neighborhood <clears throat> that's fairly conservative and maybe there are a lot of people who don't believe in climate change or for whom it's very political. Um, so you don't want to go and sort of convey your solution as being a solution to climate change because that's not going to connect with the people you're trying to reach. At the same time, your project may have some attributes that are really, really interesting to that neighborhood. So for example, you might have some retail and there's a corner store and instead of having to drive to the store to get some milk, I can just walk over to the corner store and that's going to be really interesting to me. Maybe it's got really nice landscaping with a, with a park where kids can play. You know, there are a lot of different ways to think about what your project has to offer the community, not just what excites you about the project. Um, so that covers just some basic elements of messaging. And again, obviously, what your message is is really going to depend on your situation. Um, and uh, with that, I think we'll segue over to Fran, who's going to talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of doing outreach in communities. Thanks, Amy. Um, yeah, I, um, I want to second everything that Amy has said. I'm, I'm a journalist. I come from that side of this stuff. I'm also a media producer, so I've done communications work that way. All of this, you know, being proactive and, and coming up with your message and knowing your audience um, is absolutely essential uh, because there is, there is no single silver bullet today either. You, um, communication involves a variety of channels, and you need to use all of them, but to keep the message very consistent and know what that message is is absolutely important. The, the other thing that I just want to say is it's, uh, communications is really about relationships. It's about relationships with the media, and that's principally what I'll talk about because I, I've worked with the media, uh, but it's also with the people in your community um, and uh, you know a number of different very sensitive relationships. Who are you talking to? How are you going to communicate with them best? So once you've established audience um, in in the ways that Amy's talked about. Okay. Anyone still there? Oh, Fran, I'm here. Fran is here. Should <laughs> I keep going back or should I pause here for a sec? Um, you can pause for a second. I'm just going to do a quick reminder. If anyone is not muted right now, please do mute yourself. We seem to be having a little bit of technical trouble today. You can press star six on the line. Um, Fran, please go ahead, but I think we just lost your last sentence. Okay. Uh, basically, I'm just echoing things that Amy has said. So once you've established your, your audience, the, the who, and what you want them to do and the message, the why, what, how, when, and where that Amy has um, gone over, then you need to think about, okay, how are you going to get the message out um, and how are you going to figure out who to get it to in different ways. One thing that um, before I get to traditional media, I will be referring often to something that the Orton Family Foundation I think has has worked on for a while, and it's called a community network analysis. There's 
a link um, to some steps about this uh, at at the bottom of your of the uh, the doc, I think, um, or your email actually. And what this is about is really how to think about who are the people that you really need to reach that are the key stakeholders. Um, what are the various groups and influencers? So you might your first circle are who are, who are the people that are really the movers and shakers in the, in your town, uh, and then thinking about where do they gather, where do they get their information, what do they read, how do they get their news, what events attract them, uh, what radio stations or TV outlets do they reach. You might also realize that. Um, actually, somebody came up with this um, question about the broadest possible um, public to reach. How do you reach people that are economically challenged or the elderly, people that don't have iPhones, that might not subscribe to the paper? It's important to think about what are the audiences that are really important that we want to bring in. And what's great about uh, what Orton has put together, it kind of gives you um, a matrix to begin filling in some of these things. So there might be local churches, uh, government people, of course, youth, new Americans, artists, businesses, uh, these, these groups of people in your town that are going to make uh, anything that you do richer. And their import, input is going to be very important for buy-in in the long run. So time taken to also do a community network analysis is very helpful. So how to be successful with traditional or earned media. Newspapers. Local newspapers are still very widely read, um, believe it or not, um, physically or online, especially in, in smaller rural towns. If there's a local paper, most people at least give it a look. Um, but also because um, often smaller rural papers know that they work on a shoestring, they often have few employees. Um, sometimes some people kind of struggle with the kind of of message or even accuracy that they might have. So you need to work with them um, and and go and, and meet them. What I recommend that people do is to go meet with an editor and a reporter, call them up and say, we'd like to meet with you and talk to you about our projects. I was really surprised to find that a lot of people in small towns go, oh, we, uh, we can do that? And yes, and it's great, and, and most newspapers are very open to it because they're invested in understanding what's going on in the community, what's happening in their community. There's actually an editor that I talked to in this capacity, and I, I talked about how important the role of a, of a small newspaper is in a community and, and in community building and how important the newspaper was for that community. And she hadn't really given that a lot of thought before. She was very moved by just that idea, and she said, that's, absolutely, that's correct. Um, we, are, we have a stake in a stronger community, and we have a responsibility to our community. So um, meet with your editor um, or reporters. What reporters are interested in your work? Uh, what is their knowledge? What is their sophistication level? It might be a very young person who needs a lot of backstory. It might be somebody who really understands uh, what's been going on for a long time. Uh, so to bring in the, uh, to really talk about the history possibly in a more sophisticated way with the reporter that has been there for a long time. Um, make sure that you know their deadlines. What is their preferred way of receiving information? 
do they would they rather have a phone call? Would they like to get it by email? Do they like press releases with a follow up call? Ask them. You know, if we are getting information out, what's the most successful way we can we can reach you? Uh, make sure you don't call them at the last minute. There's one uh, small paper they go out once a week. Uh, they like information to come in on a Wednesday if you're going to do letters to the editor or an article or information on Wednesday for a paper that goes out on Monday. But photographs with a little caption, they could take as late as Saturday. So you might have an event, and that would be very up-to-date news that they would grab and be um, find very welcoming. Uh, so those are some ways to work with uh, your local paper. The other thing to discuss is their policies on letters to the editor. These are very powerful things uh, to use. They keep your project in the awareness of the community between articles that might be written about your project. So um, anybody that you know that is interested in the project, maybe it's people from the arts community write about it uh, one week or one month, and then somebody from government writes a letter to the editor, Somebody else that's an active volunteer might write one. So you keep this project in the eye of the community through letters to the editor as well as articles, as well as those photos with great captions. Um, press releases are important. I'm not going to get into how to write them. There's a lot of good uh, resources on the Internet, so just you know, type in a press release and you'll come up with a lot of uh, good resources for writing a good press release. Certainly you want to think about who are going to be good interview subjects for people. You want to give them the dates and times of event opportunities. Certainly offer them something new, what's a new angle, uh, what's a progress on things, what's a new event. Always include pictures if you can. And be available and prompt if you, you always leave a contact information at the bottom of a press release and make sure if a reporter calls you to call back right away. They're usually on deadline and um, it's important to get back to them quickly if possible. I'm going to quickly move on to radio. Uh, find out what radio stations are, are involved in local audiences. A lot of radio stations these days don't do much in the way of local. It's all kind of canned music from somewhere else. Other radio stations are very involved locally. But even conglomerates, uh, which means a, a, a group of radio stations, uh, can be very powerful with public service announcements that they put on, um, and they can put it out through all, all of their stations, their news station, their classical station, their uh, country station, their top 40 rock station, what, whatever it is. Um, a, a station recently in Polson, Montana, they ran about six stations out of that conglomerate. They really wanted to create a PSA right away because they saw that there was some misinformation going out and they wanted to correct that. This is somebody who was just passionate about what was going on locally. In Cortez, Colorado, where we're working, uh, the radio folks there said, you know, we reach 93% of our population. So if you um, had a public service announcement on within their conglomerate, so they would run it on all their stations, you had a better chance of re reaching most of the population than by any other medium. So don't overlook radio, even if it's not something you listen to or there's a station you don't listen to. That's a great way to get the word out in a broad way. And television, of course, completely depends on your area. Some stations do cover the area and are, are important means of information. In some areas, television is meaningless. 
um, I've been told. But there might even be an access station, college, university station. So look into that and see what really makes sense. So traditional media is great, but alternative channels may be your best bet, especially, again, in rural or, or small er smaller uh, urban areas. So hopefully your project can get a website. Uh, it might be connected to your, the town or um, city website. You might have, it might have its own. Get your own Facebook page. It's easy um, to do. This is not my expertise. Most towns are able to do this, and if they're puzzled about it, just find a young person. Hopefully that will, will help out, <laughs> or somebody who is excited about this. But you have to have it these days. It's, a, it's the way a lot of people get their information. A way to, to push people to a website or Facebook page are email lists. So start collecting email uh, from people as soon as you can, and get lists from other organizations. There might be a business group email list nonprofit group email list, the Rotary, uh, however you can get some lists to push out your information and get push people to your website or Facebook page to get information out. That's going to be very important these days. There also, uh, you might have your own newsletter that goes out, either online or hard copy. See if you can get an announcement in other people's newsletters. Um, so that's, it's important to make those relationships happen. There's also, in our area, there are online forums. It's called uh, Front Porch Forum in my area. There are other names for them, which are neighborhood uh, online forums that a lot of people are using today, and they, they can be very powerful. Also figure out, where do people gather? Uh, where and when do the business community meet? Um, we were in Maine recently, and they, they called it the Donut Club, and once a month, all of the business people uh, from downtown would meet at a donut place. And it was a fantastic meeting. So find out where are those people? Where does the artistic community meet? Where, where do families get together? Are there PTA events, sports events? Um, in Gardner, Maine, one place that they got um, a poll out to people was at a local football game. And they got more response than they had from any, any other place because everybody comes to the football game. Um, another thing is, and, and sometimes you have to go out and visit certain groups of people. If your issue, which we found that one person had this issue, with um, people that usually do not participate in government, you might have to go out to them. Um, in Cortez, they're designing two gateways to, for two main entrances into town that includes a median beautification and, and signage. Uh, they made a poster um, for, uh, actually the design team made a poster to get people to come to, to look at it and comment on the design. And people in the town just said, you know, that poster just doesn't really work for us. And the, the uh, landscape architects, the, the experts, sent them another one. And they said, nah, that doesn't really work either. You know, somebody who lives here made a poster, see what you think. And sure enough, and the design firm was fine with that because this was somebody locally who knew what was going to capture the imagination of the local people, and that's the poster that they used. And um, so embrace that. The other thing that they did in, in Cortez, they have um, the city is adjacent to a large um, tribe reservation, and they just couldn't break through there. Uh, so they found out that those people, um, that pe members of the tribe were also involved in a, in a diversity group, they went there, uh, people from the government went to that, 
workshop, sat there, met some people, and said, you know, we'd really like to involve you. How do we do that? So they went out to them, then had a meeting on the reservation, sent them the poster, can you get this word out? And the people on the reservation said, nobody's going to look at that poster. This is how we do it locally. We do an announcement on the radio, and we send personal invitations by mail um, and or by email. And so that's how they did it. So you really have to listen well. How Know what your audience is and ask people, have uh, partners that will reach out to that group and help pull them in. Uh, what are the gathering places? Are there cafes, libraries, markets, laundromats can often be a terrific place to get out notices. Are there special events like farmers markets, festivals, fairs? You can have a presence there. Put up a table. Talk to people about what's happening. Um, mailings can be expensive, uh, but they, you know, if if you send out postcards from one zip code, it can be very cost effective. So check with your uh, post office because that might go to every single voter household and can be a great way to spread the word. So postcards are a possibility. Get help. Form a communications committee with a group of uh, professionals and connectors. Um, monitor your coverage. Make sure you know what's going out there and what's working and what's not and really tackle that if it's not. So I wanted to keep this short. Uh, I know that we have some questions and so we might as well get right to them. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Fran and Amy. That was a really wonderful introduction to the topic. And we already have some rich questions coming in onto the Google Doc and coming in over email. So we've got plenty to talk about with our last half hour. Um, for those of you who've just joined, before we dive in, uh, welcome. We're really glad to have you on this conference call about spreading the word. Please do feel free to pull up the Google Doc so you can follow along with notes and questions, add your own answers. We really encourage you all to jump in and be active and share your wisdom in that document as well. Um, I want to jump right into some questions, though. You've both talked so much about the importance of knowing your audience, figuring out who you're really targeting and talking to, and tailoring everything else to that audience, which I think is an absolutely essential message for today. We've had a couple questions come in. Along those lines, Dana from Utah has a great question about channels. Fran just went through a lot of them and provided a ton of information about all these channels out there. But I think it can be helpful to dig into which channels would be the best fit for certain populations. Dana, if you're on the phone, do you want to take yourself off mute and ask a question? You can press pound six to unmute yourself. If Dana's not here, I'll go ahead and ask it for her. Dana, you can always unmute and jump in if you are there. Dana's asking which channels would be most useful to reach people who may not have computers and laptops, smartphones, some of the more high-tech devices that we tend to re rely on today. And specifically, Dana's wondering about economically challenged groups, foreign language speakers, and the elderly, which are three underserved populations. Fran, do you want to start with that question? Are there specific sure. channels you think would work best for some of those groups? I think again, it's it's getting the right, um, getting peer help uh, for uh, the economically challenged, or I mean, actually, all three of these groups. Um, getting an advocate, people that are already working with that population, uh, talk to that advocate, ask them the best ways to communicate. Uh, is it is it posters? Uh, is can I come to a certain gathering that those might be a part of? 
So getting peer help is really um, critical. They might even say, well, maybe they would come to this event, but we need help with transportation to, to get them uh, there, uh, whatever it is. But I, I would say get yourself advocates that can be the bridge uh, to these uh, particular groups. Uh, I think that's, this is Amy, I think that's great advice. And uh, oftentimes for some of those specific constituencies, talking uh, low income, uh, particularly in urban areas, a lot of times the, the, the churches play a really important role in um, networking people together, and so you can be doing outreach to local parishes um, to see if that's perhaps an avenue to reach people. Um, and, you know, really there's no substitute for just kind of thinking through brass tacks about how you might reach someone um, and um, what's the best way to deliver your message to them because um, some messages are harder to receive than others and sometimes, you know, you might know that if I put this up on a bulletin board, like, all my audience is going to see it, but maybe you also know that that's probably not going to achieve your intended outcome because uh, because it's a, it's a harder message to deliver. And so then maybe you really do have to be doing one-on-one -on -one or door-to-door -door conversations to really get your point across. Great. We have another caller asking specifically about adults with low literacy levels. And I actually want to combine this one with another question. I think some of the advice you just gave is probably really applicable to that as well. We have someone else writing in and asking specifically about graphic design, which might be more important in terms of getting away from the written word. How important do you, Amy and Fran, think graphic design is when you're talking about communicating message in some of these channels? And do you have any advice for people about bringing good graphic design into the equation? Sure. Uh, it's a good question. I think if we can broaden it just to, to talk about imagery, um, because I think that um, we often overlook the importance of visuals. Um, in fact, humans are primarily visual communicators, um, and that we read a lot into visuals that um, you might not necessarily think that we read into them. So A, it's a powerful tool, and B, it's a tool that um, on the communicator side we often don't think enough about. We don't test. We don't, we don't really understand what our visuals are going to look like to the audience we're trying to reach. And so at Research Media, you know, we recommend testing visuals, and we've we've actually just done a, a fairly large research project, sort of looking at uh, visuals for communications and and to what extent they're tested or not, and what do they communicate. And it's it's sort of startling to discover that sometimes the thing that you think is going to get your point across actually gets an entirely different point across. So that's just a little bit of a note of caution in using visuals to be very thoughtful about them. Um, but in terms of reaching um, uh, folks who aren't necessarily readers for whatever reason, um, first off, you have television as a media that, that people pay a lot of attention to. And um, I think television is sort of intimidating to, to, for, to a lot of folks in terms of getting stories. But in fact, it can be, especially for local channels, one of the easiest pitches you'll ever make. They're very hungry for content. And you just have to really be thinking about offering up a good visual to them when you're telling your story. like. I can take you to this corner and I can have you interview a woman who's lived there for five decades and she can point to some of the changes that have happened and then I can also show you this visual of the new project and sort of lay out, map out for the TV reporter how this story is visual and interesting and, and you'll often have a very easy time getting coverage. And then the second piece is with um, this sort of 
if, if we're talking about folks that, that are non-readers and also not online, this doesn't necessarily solve your problem, but the use of slideshows can also be really powerful online and very easy to do anymore. Um, and you can create some really beautiful slideshows or very impactful slideshows with very minimal text at the bottom or with a voiceover uh, so you don't actually have to read anything that can be a powerful way to get a point across. Yeah, I, I echo all of those things. Of course, um, a picture is indeed worth a thousand words. So to really work on what is going to tell this story visually um, is going to be very important. And as Amy said, reporters are going to eat it up at a, at a television station. But also, photographs can be very powerful for local newspapers. Um, or even at an event, if you can have photographs and or a slideshow running at some kind of event, that's going to bring people in uh, to your uh, to your project. Also, even there are icons that, that um, some towns that Orton is working with have come up with a, that represent different values that the towns have that I've been really impressed with. So they have an icon for um, appreciating the land, local landscape, about... Um, people um, having good work, uh, working locally, et cetera. So that's something to look into. But I also want to, to echo, Amy, you have to test these images and make sure you're not also saying something that you really don't mean to test. And test them with different audiences, particularly test them with the audiences that are uh, most important to you. That's great. For those of you on the line, if you haven't seen resources media's resources on this topic, please do go to their website and check it out. They put out a fantastic guide this spring to using visuals and how to test some of those images and, and how to think about some of the messages that may not even occur to you with the images you're using. So this is really helpful. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about that messaging, whether it's graphic or in your words. It's so critical to be sure you're getting the right message out to people. We have a good question in from Cheryl in New York. Cheryl, are you on the line with us today? You can press star six to come off mute if you are. Okay, let me ask Cheryl's question, and Cheryl, feel free to jump in if you're there. Cheryl says, when introducing new designs and improvements, how do we deal with citizens' fears about change, even if it will benefit and improve the community? And when spreading the word about new ideas, fears seem to spread negativity throughout the community and prevent people from wanting to be involved in the design process and accepting new ideas. This is something we hear quite a lot, that people are often afraid of change, even if it's a great idea, something that will really benefit the community in the long run. People are reluctant to see anything change. Amy, can I toss this one to you to start and see what you have to say about this kind of message. Yep. I think that the first, you know, let's acknowledge that this is this is always going to be the case, and you're and you're never going to completely solve the problem. So uh, let's just start there. Um, but to me, and in my experience, the most valuable and powerful way to overcome that anxiety is to involve um, people in the development of the design process in some fashion, to the extent that they've got some skin in the game, or they feel as though the process is reflecting what they want, um, that they've been asked, that they've been talked to, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're going to have a lot more buy-in, and it becomes not some project or thing that is happening to them, but something that they're part of. And I think that the, this happens a lot with land use planning debates where you know people react to a land use plan because it looks like something that's just been dropped on the community and it's going to sort of direct things from here on out, and it feels like 
you know, space aliens from planet green have come in and are telling us what to do. And the way you get around that is by making sure that the, pl the planning process itself is designed to really engage people and get their input. And that's very time consuming, I understand that, but, but you know, there's really no shortcuts to um, when you're talking about something that's going to be potentially controversial, and obviously projects can vary by, you know, how controversial they're going to be. Um, but to the extent that, that people feel as though this thing is moving forward without their input, that, that anxiety about change is going to be exacerbated and amplified, and that can translate into a backlash that's very hard to control once it starts happening. Uh, yeah, again, I just want to concur that having some kind of advisory group that includes all people that are invested, and maybe particularly those that, that you anticipate might have an issue uh, with it. If you include them and you let them have input, it's going to dissipate some issues you might have in the future. The only other thing I would add to that is that uh, a, lot, a lot of times the way we structure or orchestrate uh, communications can inadvertently give a platform to the folks who, the maybe small minority who don't like a project or a concept or an idea. And what you often end up with is you have a very large body of people who are fine with the proposal, but they're not motivated. And so they're not going to go get up and stand before a microphone and say what they think, and they're not going to write a letter to the editor. And they're just not engaged. And then you have a very small minority who are, are engaged and they're motivated and they don't like it. And so the overall impression, um, particularly when this enters the news media because journalists love controversy, is it looks like there's all this opposition and it's this extremely controversial project. And so one strategy is to really think about how can I design my engagement process to highlight the voice of the silent majority? How can I show what all those people sitting at home thinking this is a good project but you know, aren't willing to do anything really risky or active? How can I show what they think? And that might involve some kind of a survey. Um, sometimes, and I know Orton Family Foundation has been all over this, the when you're having a public meeting, having some mechanism for people to say what they think without having to stand up and say it, so that the little type pad voting, um, that can be a really powerful way to show that there's actually a lot of support for what you're doing, um, even if there are some loud people who don't like it. Great. I want to dig a little deeper on this. I would certainly classify this as one potential communications pitfall or landmine that people need to avoid. Are there others out there? Are there other fears that people have that you want to try to head off to begin with or, in general, other communications pitfalls that you think people should look out for? And either Fran or Amy could jump in. The, the thing that comes to mind is to avoid being reactionary. So if somebody does write a letter to the editor about, you know, your project is terrible and it's going to ruin everything, um, not to start getting into a letter to the editor war on the cover, the, uh, you know, on the pages of the newspaper. Newspapers um, really love this. I, I was involved with one newspaper who clearly just thought having controversy there was very important, and that was more important to her than the accuracy or the truth of one side or the other. Uh, so that really became a problem. And what uh, seemed to work there was if you do put in letters to the editors or articles, it's about what is positive and why people love this project. So instead of being reactionary, it's kind of ignoring that but putting a very positive face on every on everything that you you put forth, so it's kind of the perseverance through that until people come to realize that that's 
very fringe, um, a fringe attitude and not a mainstream attitude. It sounds rather simplistic, but sometimes that can work. Great. Amy, anything you'd add? Yeah, I think that one of the one of the uh, missteps that I see uh, groups and coalitions and initiatives make time and time again is that they they have an overly broad uh, definition of their audience, and so they want to reach the general public and they want to reach everybody, and they're trying to sort of do a shotgun approach. Um, and I, I think you can be much more focused and efficient if you figure out, you know, not it's not that everybody's opinion doesn't matter, but some people's opinion matters a lot more than others, and that you can you can be successful by really targeting those elements of the population that either have the most sway, and oftentimes that is the folks closest to the project, um, have the most sway over the project or the, are the most motivated to be engaged and, and to support you. Whatever that sort of slicing and dicing is, that will help you focus your resources. It helps you figure out the message. It helps you figure out the channels. Otherwise, it can feel so overwhelming because you're trying to reach so many different people, so many different elements of the project through so many different media um, that uh, you end up not doing any of it very well. Great. That's actually a wonderful segue. I want to spend a little bit of time on some of the nuts and bolts of this. Everything Amy and Fran have been talking about sounds wonderful, but as they've acknowledged, this is time-consuming stuff. This is not something you can just go out and, and knock off your list in five minutes. So we have a couple of questions about this. Um, one acknowledges that it's not even something really one person can do alone. It takes volunteers. It takes more people in a community helping out with communications efforts. So how do you attract volunteers to this cause? And especially this caller wants to know, when you live in a town of only 8,000 people and there are a lot of other competing requests on their time, any suggestions for how to get help with these communications initiatives? Offer free food and beer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> free food for sure. Um, yeah, and, and fun. And you know, fun. Yeah. come up with um, something that's going to be fun. What what is your what's going to make uh, a splash in your community? But that's that's also you know that can be a lot of work. But just kind of brainstorm about um, what kind of food and and what. What would be fun to to bring people in? But Amy, I'm sure you're you're more community oriented um, <laughs> expert than I am. I was sort of kidding about the food and beer, but that's very important. But um, I think Fran's point about fun is really important. I think that the the early stage of bringing people into the process is really important, and you need to make those early conversations very uh, visionary and exciting and fun and interesting. And so, you know, a lot of times um, the way you get those volunteers to commit is that they're part of that early charrette process, or they're part part of those first few visioning exercises, and so they leave that those meetings feeling really excited about what could happen, and so they're much more motivated to be involved when you kind of get to the nitty gritty. You never want to start your volunteer outreach with the really hard stuff, or the stuff that's unpleasant, or 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 it's just not as fun. You know, you kind of we like to we call it the ladder of engagement. So you're starting with very simple, easy, low-risk, low-commitment asks, and you move people to up the ladder of uh, higher degrees of commitment, higher degrees of risk, et cetera. Um, and, you and you're very careful in that cultivation because you don't want to burn somebody. You don't want to you know, have them do something that's sort of high risk and have a bad experience, and then you know, that's the last time you ever hear from that volunteer. Great. Another way you can tackle it, I guess, is to narrow down the scope of what you're trying to do so that you don't need as many volunteers to help you out. Amy alluded to this one on the last question, 
when you are faced with so many different potential audiences, there are so many different channels, how do you best start to narrow that down? I think, Amy, you started to answer saying focus on the ones that are most critical to the decision-making process. Any other advice on that topic? Yeah, I, I think there's kind of a there's a kind of a hard prioritization process that you need to do, and I think the best way I could probably illustrate that is maybe to just give you an example. Um, and it's not related to design, but it is related to community engagement. I'm working on a project in uh, Idaho. It's with a committee that's trying to do outreach to homeowners who live out of town about preparing their homes for wildfires and doing defensible space and making sure there's good ingress and egress for firefighters. Now, this is not an easy message to deliver to this group of people because, you know, they're vacation homeowners and they don't want to think about heavy fires on their vacation. But it's obviously a critically important issue because wildfires are dangerous and they're expensive and they're costly for the county and they've got to figure out a way to handle this. And so, you know, we started talking about audience and of course you've got, you know, your 20,000 homeowners in the valley. There's your audience. Well, we can't go out and do outreach to 20,000 homeowners. And so we started segmenting. We said, okay, how can we characterize these homeowners? Well, they're the full-time residents. Um, there are the people who are here just on the weekends and live kind of nearby. There are the winter residents, and there are the summer residents. So we had these four different categories of audiences. So then we said, which, which audiences are most likely to commit to doing something to address this issue? Who has the most skin in the game? Which ones are most part of the community and are sort of most likely to do something this hard? And we said, well, it's the full-time residents because they're here all the time. And it's the summer residents because they're here all summer, and they're the ones who are going to get impacted most by the wildfires. So by doing that, we narrowed the 20,000 down to about 700. And then we started looking at the maps of where these subdivisions were, and we said here are the four subdivisions where the problems are the worst, access is the worst, and we need the most work, work on defensible space. And so all of a sudden, we've got very clear targets for our messaging and outreach and we just had to go through that process of narrowing and narrowing based on what's realistic, what are the low-hanging fruit, who can we reach, um, how can we make this happen. And just quickly, Becca, I'd like to push people to the community network analysis again, because at the end of that, they, you look at networks and what are the communication channels that they're using, and when you start looking at that, you find you know, the best communication channels to use for the, the most important people. Great. That's a really important point. So if you are listening in and following along on the Google Doc, you can scroll down to the resources and tools. There are a lot on there. Um, the community network analysis that Fran's talking about is one of the documents there. So we'd encourage all of you to take advantage of those and, and get your hands dirty with some of these techniques. So we're down to about 10 minutes left in the call. I want to open up the line and see what other questions people may have if they're listening in. If you are listening and you have a question for Amy and Fran, feel free to take yourself off mute, press star six, and we'd love to hear from you. This is Mary Jo and Seguin. Go ahead, Mary Jo. Well, in listening to this about trying to reach diverse audiences, one thought I had would be if you have a local housing authority. That might be a good way to reach the lower income, the seniors, um, some of those other ethnic groups that might be hard to reach in other areas. So I just wanted to kind of share that idea. I hadn't thought of it until listening to you all that we actually have one that would be a good contact for us as well. Great. Wonderful idea. Thank you for jumping in. Thanks. 
Anyone else? Please feel free to jump in with a question, or if you have a great suggestion or an idea like Mary Jo, we would love to hear from you. Radio silence. I think that's the, the definition of it, right? <laughs> well, I have more. I, I am never at a loss. Oh, is someone trying to jump in? Yeah, I'm sorry. This is Mike Knudsen from uh, Watertown, South Dakota. Great. Um, Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so uh, you were mentioning the importance of identifying the shared values and using that in the messaging. Do you uh, have any tips about how we uh, can best identify those shared values? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, uh, so this kind of gets to the, the question of listening. And, you know, we say communication is two-part ears, one-part mouth, and we need to be doing more listening than talking. And there are a lot of different ways to listen. There are uh, statistically valid and wonderfully expensive ways, which include public opinion research, focus groups, surveys, that kind of thing. Um, hugely valuable if you can afford it or if you can find it. So sometimes uh, there may be some polling data for your community you don't have to go out and do a poll. It's already there, and it helps you understand sort of what are the core values that motivate people in the area. You might poll other nonprofits in the area and see if anybody's done a poll recently for the state or for the town or for the region um, just to find out. You can also uh, do listening digitally, and so a really powerful way to understand a community might be to um, use some of the digital analytic tools that are out there to understand you know, which blogs are, are there local blogs and what are people talking about and are there people who are tweeting about issues in your community? Are there listservs that are focused on particular topics? You, know, you can get a good read on sort of what's happening in a community digitally. Um, and then the, the sort of low budget way is to, you know, start talking to people who live in the community and are very familiar with it and just really try to understand, okay, what do we, you know, how, what are the politics of this area? What do we know about what people care about? Um, usually when I'm working with groups, when we do a brain, when we sort of settle in on our audience and I say, okay, tell me about this group of people, they usually have a lot of insights and a lot to say about that group of people because they're their neighbors. They're, you know, they live in the community with them and, and they have some experience with sort of what makes them tick. And, and then you just do the best you can, right? You sort of have to go a little bit with your gut and make some assumptions, but it's better that, it's better to go through that exercise and make a good guess than it is to just not try to come up with the answer at all. So those are a few tactics. You can also do fairly inexpensive, uh, you know, if the, the group of folks you're trying to reach are available via email, like you have an email uh, email list, you can send out a SurveyMonkey and really just test some of the things that you want to uh, test very specifically and directly. Amy, you mentioned some digital analytic tools that would help. Are there any specific ones we could point listeners to? You know, what I would say is that um, there are, and um, they, it probably isn't even helpful, helpful, helpful for me to just run through them. I would say if you're interested, you know, give me a follow-up call or email me. Um, they're, uh, they're the kind of tools that work best if you've worked with them a little bit, and that's something that resource media can provide. Um, we also have some tip sheets on our website to use different ways of social media measurement, so you can do a little bit of that testing yourself. We use some tools that are subscription-based. Um, so, of course, you guys won't have access to them, but through us you could that, you know, can analyze uh, millions of, of digital entries on various topics simultaneously, real-time. They're pretty powerful. Um, but there are also some, some ways to do it free. Right. 
we'll try to make sure we get some links into the document for folks on some of these tools and, and resources. I'm going to jump in with a quick plug as well in answer to Mike's question. Our July call is focused on how you use the vision and values of your community to inform your community design project. So the focus of it won't be completely on identifying shared values, but once you have them, how to use them. We certainly will touch on that, though. So if you're interested in hearing more in answer to this question, please register and join us in July. Um, Fran, anything you want to add before we move on here? Um, I just, uh, there's another question about working with re reporters, and once you have a story that's out there or when a, re when a reporter um, calls you, I just want to say, you don't have to answer reporters right away. A lot of people are afraid of reporters, but there's, you know, they're, they're just they're just people, um, and but be prepared for them. When uh, when they call, speak slowly and and clearly. Be prompt in getting back to them. If you're not prepared, say I'm not the person to ask that question to. It's really important not to try to make up an answer and then have to cover yourself later. Uh, so get the right person to with the information that can uh, get back to them. And also know that there's just really no such thing as off the record, especially in a small town. It's uh, it's just not a great idea to say, Ooh, can I can I just say this off the record? Just don't go there if you can. But I know we're we're low on time, so I just want to throw that that out. <laughs> Thank you. We we are indeed low on time, sadly. These hours always go very fast. We are coming up on the hour here, and we certainly are prompt at Community Matters. So we're going to wrap it up in just a couple of minutes. Before we do, I want to take a minute to just thank Amy and Fran so much for joining us and for all their wisdom on the phone today. Thank you, all of you, for listening. Don't go yet. I'm going to put them on the spot with one last question before we go. And before we do that, just a couple of quick reminders. Um, if you're listening in and you do want to go back and get the podcast or get the notes, we will send around a follow-up email. So watch your inboxes for that. Uh, please do register and join us for the other two calls in this series, offered July and August through Community Matters and the Citizens Institute on Rural Design. One, as we just mentioned, will focus on using your community's vision and values, and August will focus on secrets of successful communities. Um, if you are one of the Forestered Workshop communities, please stay on the line when we get off. We will have our uh, closed session in just a few minutes. Before we do, I want to ask Fran and Amy to just close it out here with a quick tip for all of you when you get off the line today. They've given you tons of advice for how to improve the communications in your project, but it's sometimes awfully hard to know what to do to just get started. So when you hang up the phone, you've got an extra hour or two today to kill, or you come into the office first thing tomorrow morning, what should you do to get started? Uh, Fran or Amy, any ideas? Uh, just, just quickly, this is Fran. I, I would form a communications team with uh, people who have some expertise in, in public relations or communications or the media. Hopefully these people have some media savvy. They have some contact lists already for you. They, uh, you know, they will volunteer for you, hopefully, and kind of sink their teeth into your project. I think also if you let them know that it's for a certain span of time, a year or two, or that it's limited, that will help. Um, and uh, have them help you also connect with the media and clarify your message and, and goals, make a plan, which is probably where Amy is going a little bit. But <laughs> go ahead, Amy. <laughs> I was just going to say I would take my five questions and just try to jot down your answers. And if you're struggling, then you probably need to get your group together and figure it out and and it's never too late to start and you're far better off taking your limited communications resources 
focusing them on something that's very targeted and, and clearly is going to take you to where you want to go than you are to um, spread your communication, your very limited communications resources out in sort of the shotgun approach and just hope that everything goes well. So I can't emphasize enough the importance of sort of going through all of the, the, the steps and thinking through what you're doing. It's going to save you time and money, and it's going to give you direction so you don't have to sort of wonder what you should be doing. You'll have a very clear sense of it. Great. Well, I think you all have your homework cut out for you. So thank you again so much for tuning in. Thanks to Amy and Fran. We'll close it out for today and hope you can all join us next month in July. Thanks, and you'll be hearing from us.